The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen up. Yeah, I live in uh, Nevada, which is right next to California. I don't know how much U.S. Uh, geography you oh, know. Yeah. We, but, we all know where, yeah. where that is. I'm just like, uh, you mentioned all these Canadian places. Like, uh, I think it's... Uh, I think this place is towards the center, or the east, maybe. I don't know. Another place is towards We're the We're straight north of you. Yeah, but you're talking about uh, what? Edmonton, and there was another yeah. one you said before, too. Oh, Vancouver, Vancouver. yeah, because that's more towards the center, right? That's further east. Vancouver's on the coast, right oh, on the right. west coast. Okay, yeah. North okay, of Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my my cultural ignorance. Wow. Welcome to season one, episode three of the Better Band Podcast, hosted by Brandon Palomo. An all-encompassing trip through the Pearl Jam catalog. Each episode, my guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, and single to discover why you simply can't find a better band. This is Brandon, and I am talking today with Monty Gillard, talking about the Pearl Jam song Alive. The single was first released in July 7th, 1991, before the album came out in September. This comes from the dollar short demo that Stone Gossard made. And Monty, Monty. Hello, hello. You bet. I thought we got cut off again. Damn it. No, I'm there. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Monty, the, the, way, the way I start this out is I, uh, I ask, when did you first hear of Pearl Jam? Uh, so the first time I heard Pearl Jam was uh, when I was... 15 and it was in 91 so it was it had to be that like in september of 91 and i was in my hometown hinton alberta and there's a mm -hmm. valley and the hill used to be two towns combined into one and i was in bryn's car Shout my old friend out. bryn and bill got in the cards he said you have to hear these guys and I was in the back seat of his eighty i think it was an eighty six trans am he had yeah it was it was a it was a nice little car and uh he had a wicked stereo put in and he put in the song and he played alive and as I sat in the back seat because I couldn't hear them talking, I was just mm -hmm. taking in the music and it spoke to me like I had never heard, but I knew that that was like like a real person there as opposed to the music I'd heard. They all seemed like posers right immediately. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to find out more about this band. Like that was, it was this, it was instantaneous. Give me that CD cover, you know, and I, <laughs> to see what this looked like. <laughs> Who are these guys? So it was definitely a, a it was, I'll never forget like where I was when I heard this song for the first time. Yeah. I don't think I remember when I first heard it. I knew that I had a, uh, a cassette tape of it and I'd uh, listened to it when I was doing chores and everything like that, but I don't, remember if I heard anything on the radio before then or if it was just from the cassette that I had or any of that stuff. So this is of course how Alive starts out with the the awesome riff. And of course with the regular 10 version 
You have all yeah. that reverb. Yeah. All that 80s reverb. And of course, there's the, uh, the, the mythic story of Eddie going surfing and coming up with the lyrics for it. And That's amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? Coming out. I mean. Yeah. Especially from the, uh, compared to the other songs on the uh, Mama-san demo, like this one has like all the lyrics and all of the, 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 the music. It's all already there. And it sounds just like a demo. Yeah. <laughs> Crappy tape, everything. It was supposed to be, what, Merle Haggard's greatest hits or something like that that he recorded over? Was it? I remember when Cameron Crowe handed him the tape on the Pearl Jam 20 movie. He's like, yeah. that's it, eh? Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> it's classic Eddie. So you were uh, pretty much a fan right when you uh, when you uh, heard him from the right right from the beginning yeah i mean and and uh i think i'd heard nirvana just slightly before that mm-hmm. Nevermind was played for me uh and it's interesting because i first heard nirvana when i first got out of the hospital i had massive head injuries from falling out of a truck Ooh. as a kid and i heard nirvana first and then it must have been so it must have been october actually the more i think about it then i heard uh pearl jam after that and then <clears throat> Uh, the whole Seattle sound was opening up to everybody. And, and Hinton was a small town, but we were near Jasper National Park. So it was a snowboarder haven in those days. And we, you know, we were exposed to a lot of um, alternative music. So it definitely changed how we looked at music. We, we found this music that spoke to us as these guys dressed like we did, acted like we did. They weren't wearing like makeup and lipstick and spandex and singing about girls and motorcycles and i mean it just none of that stuff spoke to me and, and uh rap at that time you know it, it didn't really speak to us either you know we were kind of lost in that it just this was somebody else's music it was like my stepsister's music from five ten years ago I, I, don't, I don't i don't get it you know so not that that's not all bad but it just at, at, as a 15 year old you're looking like what what speaks to you and I was 15 turning 16 at about yeah. that time. And it, uh, you know, you could hear in the music that these guys were going through something. Of course, I didn't know what it was at the time, but you could hear. And, and as at that age as well, we're, mm-hmm. all, we're all going through stuff, right? I mean, you, you feel that same you're disenfranchised and lost and it, it, you know, it meant like they were singing about real things. Yeah. Uh, that was important at that time. Yeah, it felt a whole lot more sincere and authentic than a lot of the other rock and roll that was happening around then. And it's, it's I don't know, looking back at it, it's kind of like, it sounds like the same, but people started calling everything alternative. But it was just sort of like, uh, we're just not going to tease our hair and wear makeup and, you know, all that sort of stuff. We're just going to wear regular clothes, but it's still, you know, same old rock and roll, maybe not as huge and shiny and everything like that even though i think that's kind of like what mother love bone was kind of doing before then though right yeah that's true but i i had never been exposed to mother love bone i'll be honest i had never heard of them um so i didn't know the backstory of course until later and then when you're a jammer you learn everything 
you know, I'm some sort of Pearl Jam encyclopedia, you know, but you know, there's some truth to that. But the cool thing about the bands is they, they're, they're, they were all different in their own way. Right. So it was okay. They had, yeah, there's a little bit of glam over there. That's kind of cool. I mean, who doesn't like David Bowie? Right. And, but they could, they could mix it all together and, uh, and create something that was original out of all that, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I, first time you saw the video for Alive, it was different. They're just black and white playing at a club and it was live. And that was, I was sitting there going, well, that's cool, right? Like pretty cheap to do, I'm sure, compared to like the big production videos that were going on at the time. But I, I just thought, it yeah, was, yeah. I just thought, well, that's refreshing. You know, everything about it was refreshing from the, the, the corporate rock horror stuff that was being fed to us, right? And it just got old. Yeah, up until, you know, then the corporate rock monster turns its eye on this. And then, you know, it's like, okay, we'll slap flannel on everybody and you know, <laughs> yeah, do the same thing. Even Dave Mustaine had to wear flannel. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> what uh what other kind of stuff were you listening to like about when they uh when they came out and stuff uh yeah Nir- nirvana was big we as a canadian by the way i went to a party where uh and of course this is 15 slash 16 year old monty uh talking all i remember that party that night was uh life is a highway by tom cochran played followed by smells uh-huh. like teen spirit followed by Life is a highway followed by smells like Dean Spirit. It was just over and over. <laughs> but once once that all broke, I mean, Alice in Chains was being played quite a bit. Um, you have to keep in mind the Metallica Black album broke, and that uh, that was played a lot. Uh, that yeah. Megadeth album was popular. Uh, Soundgarden, I really got into the Bad Motorfinger album. I think I still think that's one of the most classic mm-hmm. albums. Yeah, I mean, there was it. it uh, music just changed. I mean. I know it's cliche and it's been talked about how it changed on the dime, but it really did. You know, that you really, everybody really started to uh, get into the, the, the Seattle sound. Of course, yeah. the Screaming Trees, I, I liked. Um, some of my friends did not, and that's fine, right? Not, not everybody has the same taste. Uh, and, and then there was the Canadian alternative scene, which started to also grow. And uh, the Tea Party was growing um, around that time, the tragically hit, which became Canada's bar band that, you know, that just, that was ours became very popular and took over this country for sure. So there was quite a bit of that. And then there like SNFU, like an Edmonton punk band, we started listening to that stuff. So it, it you know, and, and over the next three to four years, it was all just about finding this new music. Like we just, we, we were insatiable. We just couldn't get enough. Eh? What's the next disc coming out? I got to buy this you know, Tool came out, and my buddy bought it just reading a Spin magazine mm-hmm. review. <laughs> you know, and we were all Tool fans because Undertow was such a, yeah. a good album. I'd right? never heard it before. So. How, like, how much of that stuff did you get to hear from the radio? Because there's the uh, the content uh, rules and stuff like that, right? Like, a certain percentage has to be Canadian artists. Yeah, none of it. So our our version of MTV was much music. Right. Yeah. And they played videos a uh, lot longer than MTV did, but I don't think they do it anymore either. Mm-hmm. And that's where like the crash test dummies first was played. I remember and stuff that ended up actually getting headway in the United States, like our lady peace and some Canadian stuff. But there was mm-hmm. also the American side that was played. Really. It was, it was by going to shows and a lot of these bands would tour up here when they weren't bigger as well. Right. So you'd, you'd find out like helmet was playing somewhere or whatever you could get to see. Right. If you got into Edmonton to go see it, that, uh, yeah, radio didn't catch on, but once it started to sell a lot of records, it sure did. Yeah. I think, I think I remember this, 
first hearing this when I heard it on the radio, uh, whenever I heard it on the radio was on the, uh, I don't think there was an alternative station, you know, because, you know, it just was invented or whatever, but it was the, uh, the top 40. So you'd hear this and then you'd hear like MC hammer and then, you know, Madonna and then Michael Jackson and, it's kind of it's just the weird <laughs> combination of of all different kinds of music it's kind of like oh if it's popular we'll play it we don't care about for you know not really format but the style of music or whatever and then you know that sort of fades to okay you know rock music's got to go over here and you know pop music goes over here when did you figure out like what was your impression of the song before you knew like what the song was actually about well i just thought it was just the music itself, I was like, wow, that's coming from some dark place, right? And 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 uh, just the way the guitar was, and, and it, it was deep. Like, there was something really, like, the person that wrote that song, I felt, even as a kid, and I'm not a musician, by the way, I never heard music speak to me that way. You know what I mean? Like, I never felt this, like, that person's trying to tell me something in that music, which is probably how Eddie felt when he heard it. And, it, and, you know, and, and, and it undoubtedly it did. And then when I heard the words, all I could tell was like, because Eddie's not easy to understand sometimes, yeah. uh, especially in those days. Um, all I could think was, well, this was a stressful situation. Something was very stressful in this, this young man's life, mm -hmm. older than me at the time, of course, but there was something very stressful and he was dealing with it by saying, Hey, I'm still alive. Like that was my first impression of it. Was and sort of felt like a song you could grab onto in those those times when you needed like, hey, I'm still alive. You know, like uh, the question, do I deserve to be, which is very clear, was also something that I, I had to sit there and ponder every time I listened to it. It's like, what does that mean? You know, like yeah. it, does it mean that? You know, it, it, once again, it's it. it that was that was of course I getting away from the questions of talking about the more I understood the words. But the first time was just uh, that this this person uh, this person's struggling, and I could empathize at that age because I was I was struggling big time at that. I was yeah. having trouble fitting in. It was until I moved to Hinton and met all these people and discovered this music scene where I found a group of brothers, and it's similar to the band in a way. You know, you know. I mean, in that you can draw parallels. So I don't know if that totally answered your question. No, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't really, does it? <laughs> I can be a rambler. No, nah. no, nah, hey, that's, that's totally cool. I mean, like it's, it's, you know, obviously this music means so much to so many people. And I, I don't know if it matters if, if anybody like hears this, the story of, you know, how much it means to you or anything like that. Or, I, but it, it, everybody sort of has that, that connection, that through line yeah. that, you know, invisibly at least, uh, connects us all through the spider web of, you know, their music and everything. And so, you know, just hearing other people saying, Oh, I really like this. It's, it's cool. You know, this is how I felt. And everybody else goes, Oh yeah, me too. That's, that's totally how it was for me. Or I don't know if there's other people who are like, no, I just liked it because, uh, I don't know, he was hot. So. Yeah. Well, that happened. <laughs> There's a lot of girls. Uh, yeah. SNFU, by the way, did a song called Better Than Eddie Vedder. <laughs> She's looking for somebody <laughs> better, better than Eddie Vedder. And anyways, it, uh, 
yeah, the girls, yeah, I figured that's what it was about. For me, you know, like even the song didn't make, like, I remember the first few times I heard it, I was like, she walks across a young man's room. I didn't know that was like mm-hmm. his mother, right? I was sitting there thinking, yeah. like, is he losing his virginity? Like, there's a lot of things that I just didn't, I wasn't sure what was going on, right? So, uh, but then, you know, when you finally do really have a chance to see the lyrics and you're like, wow, that's pretty deep, right? You know. It's not totally autobiographical, of course, but it's uh, definitely. And then when you find, like, years later, when you learn this is a three-part song, because I had never heard Footsteps until years later, of course. It's pretty fascinating how he could go surfing and come back and lay those three tracks out and send it in the mail. His life changed forever. Crazy. You didn't hunt down those uh, those uh, imports, or did you get like the the same imports and stuff like that of the uh, of all the singles? Or no, no, I never, I never did. No, I never got them. I, I never bought the singles and anything else. I was like, I didn't, I didn't have the foresight then. I just like, I have this album, okay, you know. And, and those imports, they cost a lot of money back then. I remember it was it was expensive for us to buy them, and we'd have to special order them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say I didn't make much money in those days. Yeah, and just slinging groceries at you know bagging groceries at Safeway for four fifty an hour. It was it was, it was a little out of touch. Yeah, regular CDs were expensive back then too. Oh yeah, yeah, twenty bucks, uh, twenty five, I think even mm-hmm. up here sometimes. More expensive then than they are oh, now. Yeah. Well, nobody buys them now, so they're like, uh, ten yeah, bucks. That's true. Come on, that's true. please. <laughs> Yeah, Don't just please. listen to it on Spotify for free. So uh, you got the uh, the sense that this was sort of an optimistic song then with the uh, I'm still alive refrain in it or. Well, I couldn't, I, I knew, like I said, I knew he was struggling, mm-hmm. uh, but the way he, he uh, for a long time, I thought there was something else like, you know, the way he sings it is like, I couldn't make out the words, but it was really just harmonics, right? Hey, hey, I... Yeah. But I was like, for a while, I was like, what else is he saying there? I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I mean, this stuff would drive me. I'd sit there and I'd rewind songs. and Like, I would actually take a CD, put it to tape, so I could sit and rewind words. Like, to learn Loser by Beck, I completely did that. It took me a whole evening oh, to yeah. rewind it and write out the words. To this day, I could still sing Loser by Beck and follow along completely when it's on the radio. It's a good song. But I... But uh, but that song was difficult to do that because just the way Eddie sung, you know, I mean, there's never, you've never heard anything like that, the way he kind of closed his jaw and that, mm-hmm. what did Mark Arm call it? It was the Yarl, <laughs> right? Was that, Mark Arm called it the Yarl, which is, I think, I think that's brilliant because it is kind of like that. Eh? Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, I, I, it's so hard for me to go back. There's 25, seven, eight years now, I guess it yeah. is. And think about that stuff, but it it uh, it, it brings a smile to my face because it takes me back to a time of complete innocence. I mean, I'm 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 just a kid, and I felt like my life was so horrible. And of course, now you look you look at it now, and you're like, mm-hmm. you got through it. You're still alive. But like, there's Boom! These, yeah, <laughs> but there's these these beacons of of memories that happen, and and literally from my teenage years, the first time I heard this song is I I can picture where i was and feeling this thing and going what am i hearing this is this is amazing you know like 
and that's very rarely happened to me uh, yeah. ever even since. And so I, I knew there was something great here, right? I really knew. But really, I, I really the song, and even now, so like the first time I saw Pearl Jam was in 2013 when I met my current mm-hmm. wife, and we saw him here in Calgary. And uh, what a great show, by the way. I, I mean, my first one. Um, I, I'd sort of lost touch with the band, you know. You kind of get into like that SoCal punk scene took out, took over everything, you know. And then and then I got married, and I sort of lost touch with Pearl Jam, and and I got satellite radio before a lot of people, like before Howard Stern was on mm-hmm. there and everything. <clears throat> and then the Pearl Jam channel came on, and I would listen to it for the songs I knew. Then I'd turn it, and then I started hearing all these other songs that I had lost touch with, right? I started realizing how great they were again. So they played here in Calgary in 2013. And then I heard Alive for the first time, of course, because they play it just about every show. And it, it took on a whole different meaning from that kid. And I was thinking yeah. about that kid briefly while I was hearing it for the first time. And then, you know, the crowd chants. And, and it, it, now it's an uplifting song. You know what I mean? Like it's totally changed from this dark, brooding, uh, misunderstood yeah, youth. Yeah you know a song about being lied to by your mother about who your real father is kind of thing and even the band i'm sure it's changed i'm sure even for eddie who wrote the lyrics it's changed meaning right so and uh it's almost like the whole crowd and I, i've seen pearl jam shows up to 50 60,000, um a couple places to uh moline where there was ten thousand in there 10 or 12 or whatever and it's it's all the same sort of collective. And I always just look around from the, you know, the 10 club floor seats I'm always at. And I look around Yeah, and it's, it's inspiring to me. Right. It's, I, I, I don't care. There's just some songs they can play at every show and I'm happy. I, I, I don't care. Corduroy, even flow live. They could play it at every show because somebody there has seen them for the first time. Probably it's the old Wayne Gretzky story. Right? Yeah. You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wayne Gretzky's dad told him you're going to play your best every game because somebody in the stands is seeing you for the first time. Ah, okay. That one. I'll add, I'll I'll add that to my Gretzky repertoire then. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But I always thought that with Pearl Jam because when, when uh, Jeff says, you know, that every show is pure stoke. Mm Mm-hmm. Like they've never mailed it in. Yeah. The first thing I thought of was like that's that's important to your fans, and your fans can tell. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, you go to a show, and they're up there just half wasted, and you know, like what that guy from Rats doing these days. I think it was Rat. He's up there all drunk and stupid. Mm-hmm. Like you're paying your hard-earned money to come see you, and you can't even be professional. I mean, be a pro, you know. Yeah. So, but those guys are pros. Hundred percent. Yeah, when when everybody just starts, I don't know, like how it started or whatever. Just everybody just goes, yeah, 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 at the end. Yeah. And everybody's like pumping their fists and stuff like that. And <laughs> it's almost like a half pump of the fist and a half that old Atlanta Braves chop. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? From from when they were on their World Series run well, back in the nineties. Not that quite culturally you know? insensitive, though. That's uh... yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a little cult, but that's what it reminds me of. Man. I'm, I'm, that, I'm that age, so it just. You're, uh, but you're the one doing that, looking around at everybody. It's like, uh oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. We're not doing that. Oh, oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm gonna wear a Braves jersey next time. <laughs> no. No, it's. Uh, 
It's great. The uh, uh, CNM 13 was at the Lightning Bolts. It was, yeah. So that was the show in Calgary. They add, they they added in because of the flood that Calgary had the year before, mm-hmm. and they had some friends named the Light Bodies. I think their their name was that lived here and gave them updates on what was going on in Calgary. And they they snuck the Blizzard show right in between Spokane and Vancouver. I forget mm-hmm. how it worked, but anyways, they they slid the show in, and uh, it was it snowed here like. But the city was shut down at like two or three in the afternoon. Everybody went home. Yeah. But the Saddle Dome, which is our, our arena, was full. And they walked out and couldn't believe everybody made it. But there was an empty seat in the place. It was awesome. And they played a great show. We got sleight of hand. And hard to imagine. Crazy Mary. Uh, it was a legend. I, I, I'm surprised it doesn't get more play as a legendary show. But that's fine. No, I mean, like, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep it. <laughs> Yeah, it's your it's your little secret. That's right. Yeah, they opened with "Of the Girl." That's the first Pearl Jam song I've ever seen live. Is "Of the Girl," which really was important to me and my wife because we both that that song. That's a really cool song. I just I just think it's one of the coolest songs they've ever written. Yeah. You know? What was the sort of uh, period that where you dropped off? Of well, it's. Yeah, so like I said, it was probably after. So when I went to college, Vitology came out. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that album. I thought, wow, these guys are really doing something. And then uh, it was Yield was next, right? Sorry, I get no code. in the in the di- no, sorry, no code. That's right. Then Yield. I, I get the I get the albums mixed up because of the digital world we live in. Yeah. Now. So no code came out, and I remember, you know, these these are punk kids still, right? I remember looking at the album cover, going, "What is this?" <laughs> I don't know why, but I did. Uh, and, and sad to say, I, I'm not sure why. Looking back. But I was really into Tool and all the so-called punk sound that was coming out then. Yeah. And this Irish band named Therapy with the question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just I just was into a bit heavier music at the time. Yeah. And I also, the, lo- the Lost Kid also got into all kinds of trouble and with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. So gangster rap, I was starting to listen to a lot of NWA at that time. Obviously a lot later than when it was part yeah. it, it came out, but... So I, I guess they just weren't aggressive enough for me. Like when I heard No Code, I was like, "Wow, they're really going soft." Mm-hmm. And that, and that, that was I didn't understand what they were trying to do. And that's they are artists, and I am not, admittedly. And so like they, that sort of aggressive, I'm mad at the world sound seemed to be fading into this, you know, really Neil Young influenced kind of. I'm gonna do what I want. Just getting weird. Yeah, when it, no, we're not getting weird. I think they were trying to shed some of their fans that they didn't want, right? And uh, well, I don't even know if that was that specific. I can't, I can't get inside their head. I won't. But they were going in a new direction, and I wasn't sure I really was into it. And I probably wasn't mature enough to understand it. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I honestly, I, I mean, I didn't really start maturing until my mid twenties. I wanted, I was a late guy to figure it out, right? So. You know, I ended up moving way into northern Alberta, way up north. I was about 27 years old. We're talking, and you'd have to know where Edmonton is, but it was 300 kilometers north of Edmonton or 200 miles or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And uh, music just wasn't that important. It was more about work and making money and things like that. Then I got married, and she, you know, it, it just sort of fell off the radar. 
and really it was when they were back on Pearl Jam Radio where I really fell back in love with the band. So it, it's just quite a gap there. Now, I liked them and I'd still listen to them. You know, I had some CDs, but it was really the older stuff, like the first three albums. And, yeah. But when Do Your Evolu- Do the Evolution came out, I really liked that song. So it sort of in and out. But like when they did uh, Last Kiss and it shot to number two on the charts, I remember going, oh, they're still playing. <laughs> <laughs> And then the controversy of the 03 show in Uniondale. And I was like, wow, they're still touring. Like those were thoughts in 03. I just, I didn't know what they were doing. I wasn't in the fan club and everything. I know that makes me sound like a bit of a hack, but you know, it's just, it's the reality. I was kind of in an outpost of Canada. So it was hard to stay connected in those days. Yeah. Everybody has their own story, their own journey. I don't even think I knew about the fan club. You didn't know about the fan club? You didn't see it in the, uh, in the inside of the CD and, like fan club what the heck is this i'm i'm i don't remember ever noticing that and if i did i've never it's the only fan club i've ever been in by the way yeah right because i've always associated the term fan with fanatic which is where it comes yeah. from and i was never really a fanatic about anything until i saw a pearl jam show <laughs> and then i was in the 10 club the right like the next day <laughs> i was a fanatic immediately like once i was at a show i was like i have to be closer to the stage I have to be, I have to be there. How do I get yeah, there? Yeah. And then I found out how. And as far, as far as my wife goes, I mean, when she was going through a divorce. She just, she knew I was, as, I'd be getting into Pearl Jam and I hadn't seen him live yet. And she, well, send me some song. What song should I listen mm-hmm. to? You know, she, I said, well, you should listen to this and that. And better man made her ball her eyes out in an airport. <laughs> <laughs> There's it's all kinds. It's quite the story. I mean, she she's become as big a fan as me, uh, and of course, she got married very young and missed out on all of it. Right? She was busy raising kids. Yeah. Right? It just wasn't that important to her. And you you, you have to understand that for sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. The first Pearl Jam song I played for her was "In Hiding," which at the time was my favorite Pearl Jam song. It just spoke to me. And I know Eddie's. You know, Eddie's like I was real fucking high, <laughs> but to me, I took that song it was like. When I was depressed, I, would, I as as a, I don't know if I'm clinically depressed all the time, but I would go through these lulls where I don't feel myself, mm-hmm. and it still happens. It's a little less with exercise and eating well, but when I'm down, I would just like hang out in my basement and just listen to music. And now, this is a mid 30s Monty, by the way, even. And uh, I'd always that song when I rediscovered it of like when I'm in hiding, it's me just by myself. Mm-hmm. The cracks along the wall and everything else is is the cracks inside of my personality that caused me to become this reclusive individual. But I'm naturally kind of an extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> so I had my own interpretation of the music. That's that's the great thing about Pearl Jam's lyrics. You can Eddie's such a great songwriter that you can make it your own. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know what, what really what it is to him all the time. Yeah, sometimes that just ruins it. You're like, no, but it means this. Yeah. Except for then if there's weird lyrics, you think, oh, he's saying this. And it's like, oh, it's that? Oh, what? Yeah. Huh. Well, I guess that makes sense. That's true. There was one song, I forget what it was, but when they did the Versus thing on satellite radio on Channel 22 there, there was one song he was saying, I'm, I'm still not going to tell you what that song's about. I haven't told it yet, and I'm not going to now. Huh? I think it was, was it Animal? might have been Animal. Because they would eat some of the band members doing commentary on each song. Mm-hmm. And I think there was one. He's still not telling us what it's about. <laughs> and I like that. Leave it alone. Oh, I got to track that down now. I don't have satellite radio. I just have my podcasts. 
Wah, wah. Well, you see, I was very lucky when, when, when Sirius came out. Oh, they had a, like a lifetime thing, didn't they? Right. And I got the lifetime membership. But of course, they had those things they sold that always broke. But then when it got put into vehicles, now I just buy a new vehicle and I have it for a decade. Mm-hmm. So I actually can buy another new vehicle and still have a lifetime membership. Awesome. They don't like me. They try to cut me off sometimes. <laughs> I call them back and go, what are you doing? I'm a lifetime member. Oh, yeah. You pried away <laughs> from my cold, dead hands. It's paid 400 US. I've had it since 06. Well, thanks for talking to me today. No problem, Brenna. I hope, uh, hope I got it across. I mean, like, the song is just so... It's still me. It's still spectacular. Yeah. Right now... I have to admit, sometimes you know, if I'm listening to 22 and it comes on, you know, I might turn the channel. And actually, I've done it and gone over to 34, and it's playing there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, like serious is that great? Like, so it's a live, so it's a live version of a live, you know, in 2015 somewhere. And I'll go, I'm, I'm going to go see what's on 34, and it's the album version. <laughs> so then I'm like, well, obviously, I have to listen to it because the gods are speaking. Right? <laughs> but it's, uh, it's definitely. The reason it's so important is it is it was my introduction to the band. Yeah. And uh you could just tell that there was something special there. I I know Chris Cornell said it a lot better than I did, God rest his soul, of course. He was I think it was in the PJ twenty thing where he, the first time he heard it, he goes, There's a real person there. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I you could hear the emotion. And that's what we talked about a lot of the times, right? When when you know, he'd sit around and pass it pass it around as the old saying goes and talk about singers and music and this and that and there's like nobody had the emotion in their voice like eddie Mm -hmm. just and you could tell the people that tried to copy it like that creed band and all that stuff but it was just not the same because they didn't have the emotional investment in the music what would you uh rating this five stars what would you give this? This interview? No. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't want to know that. I'm <laughs> at the song. Oh, the song's five stars. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's a, it's a radio classic. It's, it's become a classic track. I mean, I was at the Calgary Flames hockey game when they played it, you know, in the lull in the play. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. I'm sure they're all sports fans, so I think they, they probably like that stuff. I know when they played the Calgary show, he was th- they thanked the Flames for using their dressing room, and he's like, Wow, I was like, Chris Butler pisses here. When they t- <laughs> <laughs> he was like a no-name player, uh-huh. <laughs> but it, you know, it. Uh, so that you know, there's that cool side of it. Yeah, they're just. It, it's a five-star song, and it 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 helped. I know Nirvana gets a lot of the credit for changing music forever, and they should. Yeah, it was definitely groundbreaking. <clears throat> but I think uh, I don't know. I don't know if the uh, the music snobs necessarily give Pearl Jam they're just desserts for that I I think Nirvana was the one that was just sort of like more aggressive and more sort of yeah you know they had that more of a punk sound whereas Pearl Jam was more sort of the uh you know it's just it's just rock it's just yeah plain ish sort of rock or whatever but it's got that you know deep caramel emotional center to it well thanks for uh for coming on today oh thank you brandon i think what you're doing is great i look forward to hearing all these you know on the other nine songs off 10 i'll probably won't be able to listen to myself but 
but that's right. You know, you don't have to listen to it. You lived it, man. Yeah, that's right. I lived it, man. <laughs> I don't remember it because I was there. Wait, no, wait. How's that saying go? <laughs> if you don't, if you remember it, you weren't there. Yeah, exactly. Just, just like any old other podcast. Do you have anything to plug? Anything you want to get out there? Any social media? Anything? Oh, I, absolutely not. Uh, the only thing I would plug is for all Pearl Jam fans. Gordon Downey's gone. If you haven't listened to the Tragically Hip and you want to know the other great band, it's the Hip. He was the guy that was speaking to us. Maybe it's because we're Canadians. But I'm telling you, there was some other music that just spoke to us. And of course, a lot of the songs they did sing kind of had a Canadian thing theme to it. And maybe that's why it didn't get picked up in the States as big yeah, as it yeah. should have. But the guys in Pearl Jam, I know, I know Stone and Jeff were, they liked the band. Right. They, there's a story of them recording together at the same studio back in, I think, for Versus. I think it was. It might not be. But anyways, they did meet and uh, sort of followed each other from that point on. But if you don't know the hip, you should. God rest you. By the way, to show you how important Gord Downey was to Canada, the prime minister ensured that when marijuana was legalized in this country, it was on the one-year anniversary of Gord's death. Oh, really? Absolutely. That wasn't uh -huh. by coincidence. Well, there you have it, folks. Thanks a lot. The Better Band Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by their respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from shoutengine.com slash thebetterbandpodcast using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at listenupreno. I am on Twitter at BrandEnP, and you can send your emails to betterbandpod at gmail.com, and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Monty, and as always, this is Brandon saying, The blues isn't about feeling better, it's about making other people feel worse, and making a few bucks while you're at it.